Good morning, everybody. Uh, just a couple of uh, notices. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to the People's Warden who was in here yesterday doing that. And uh, it's rather splendid, isn't it? Um, those thorns at the top of the cross are real thorns. And uh, if you put your finger on them, you'll see just how sharp they are. And it's kind of a, an interesting and special vivid reminder of just how Christ suffered with that crown of thorns on his head. And then the other notice is that tomorrow there is a choir rehearsal um, at 3pm in the Cliveden, Cliveden residence at GWC. So if you're in the choir getting ready for Sunday, then do please be there for that. But now let's um, ask for God's help as we turn to his word. Please have the Bible open, um, actually at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. And have the bulletin open with the outline of where we're going and then... When you're there, I'll pray for us. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Heavenly Father, we do pray that in the next few moments you would open up the message of the cross to our hearts and our minds with fresh clarity, that it might be the power of God in our lives. Amen. One of the most respected leaders of the 20th century was Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, he was held in the highest regard, not just as a great political statesman, but also as a deeply and sincerely religious man. Uh, that, I think, is reflected in his autobiography, which has the very striking subtitle, The Story of My Experiments with Truth. Now, in it, Gandhi describes the extraordinary lengths that he went to in order to find a personal relationship with God. And there's a place in his book where he says this, and I quote, What I want to achieve, what I've been pining and striving to achieve for 30 years is to see God face to face. But I worship God as truth only. I have not yet found him. I'm seeking after him. I'm prepared to sacrifice the things dearest to me in pursuit of this quest. Often in my progress I've had faint glimpses of the absolute truth. But it is to me an unbroken torture that I am still so far from him. End quote. Well, coming from such a great man, I think that is disarmingly honest. And I think it's also rather disturbing. Because wherever we stand on religious things, we can all identify with his quest. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Whatever that means, 
The very least that it means is that every human being has been created with an inbuilt hunger to know God personally. And we won't have any real peace until we do. But where do we start? I mean, if the great Gandhi couldn't find his way to God, what hope is there for you and me? That's the issue we're going to be thinking about for just a few moments on this Good Friday morning. And I want you please to have 1 Peter 3 verse 18 in front of you as we do this. I think regulars here know that it's our normal practice to look at a a rather longer portion of scripture. But this morning we're looking at just one sentence and it is the first sentence of verse 18. It says this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Now that sentence explains how anybody can come to know God personally. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Peter says that it is possible for you to have what the great Gandhi spent his entire life trying to find but never did. And the way that Peter does this is by explaining what happened on the first Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross. In just 18 words, the Apostle Peter tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, three astonishing things happened. First, Christ died to bring us to God. Now that is the overriding purpose of his death. I wonder if you know that. The overriding purpose of his death was not the forgiveness of sins, although of course he accomplished that, it was important and we're going to say more about it in a moment. Nor was it to save us from hell, although of course he achieved that too. Nor was it to set us an example of how to face unjust suffering. On the cross, Jesus certainly did all of that and more. But all of those things are secondary because the number one purpose of his death was to bring us to God so that we might know God personally. That actually is the purpose of your life and mine. It's what makes us truly human that we might know God personally. Now, I wonder if you can see that behind these words there is an important assumption. It's something I think most people hardly ever think about. But the assumption is that from the moment of our birth we are actually separated from God and we need to be brought back. It's teaching us that our biggest problem is not poverty, It's not the government, it's not sickness, it's not family problems, it's not work, it's not our marriage. It's none of those things. No, the biggest problem facing the entire human race is that from the moment of our birth we are cut off from the God who made us. 
We have no right to approach him. We are, as it were, alienated from him. Now, why is that? What is the cause? Well, one of the clearest explanations for this comes in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And uh, on, uh, on the screen behind me, you'll find Isaiah 59, verse 2. And I think it would be rather good if we said this together. Together. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So, you see, the cause of this separation is not that God has forgotten about us. It's not that God doesn't care. In fact, the problem is not with God at all. It's with us. We've rejected God's rule in our lives and in doing that we have separated ourselves from him. And if we stop to think about it, all of us know that what Isaiah is saying is true in at least two ways. We know that it is true legally and we know that it is true emotionally. Why legally? Well, even the most superficial knowledge of the Bible tells us that God is perfectly just. Which means that, unlike some human judges, God cannot simply turn a blind eye to our rebellion and pretend it never happened. Now, in his holy eyes, every sin, every act of rebellion is serious and it takes us further and further and further away from him. That's legally. And emotionally, we also know that what Isaiah is saying is true because of conscience. You see, until our consciences are cleansed, they are defiled, they are spoiled by our rebellion. So, when we find ourselves in the presence of God, perhaps at a, a Good Friday service like this, we feel unclean. We're actually ashamed to lift our faces up to Almighty God in worship. There's almost a sense that we don't really belong. We might not admit that to other people, of course, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know it's true. So, that, my friends, is the biggest problem that any of us ever have to face in life. From the moment of our birth, we are separated from Almighty God and without a solution, then we will live our entire lives here under God's wrath and our eternity will be miserable. Perhaps that's what the great Gandhi was thinking about when he described his own failure to find God as an unbroken torture. Well, fix your eyes back on 1 Peter, because the good news of Easter is that there is actually a solution. Christ died to bring us to God. And the way that Peter puts this is stunning. The language that he uses comes straight from the royal court. 
Because the word translated to bring to was used to talk about ambassadors from a foreign country being brought into the presence of the great king. You see, then as today, um, an ambassador couldn't simply stroll into the king's presence with his hands in his pockets whenever he felt like it. No, he would only be admitted into the presence of the king when the king was ready and willing to receive him. And in verse 18, Peter's saying to us that by his death, Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be brought into the presence of Almighty God. God is now ready and willing to receive us. Now friends, if you only take one thing away from this service this morning, let it be this. The overriding purpose of the death of Jesus was to bring you to God so that you might know him as your father and start learning what it means to love God and to serve him forever. And we can say that with absolute confidence because at the very moment that Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We heard about that in our Bible reading. You see, the curtain had been put there at God's command to separate the ordinary worshipper from the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. The ordinary worshipper was actually forbidden to ever pass through it. And I suppose, in a sense, that curtain was rather like a huge keep-out sign in the middle of the temple. But when Jesus died, the curtain was torn down from top to bottom by an unseen hand. And the message, I think, was clear. God was saying, now you can come to me. My son has opened the way for you. And 2,000 years later, God is still saying that. Christ died to bring us to God. The second thing that happened on the cross was that Christ died for our sins, verse 18. And Peter adds, doesn't he, the righteous for the unrighteous. And I'm going to focus on that a bit more in our service later on. You see, if bringing us to God was the purpose of Christ's death, well, dying for our sins was the means that he used to achieve it. We've just seen that Isaiah says that our sins have separated us from God. But now, Peter tells us that Christ died for those sins to reconcile us to God. Now think about it, because this can only mean one thing. You see, throughout the Bible, sin and death are bracketed together. Sin is the rebellion of man against God and death is the judgment of God against man. 
So as the Apostle Paul famously puts it in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Death is the punishment that sin or our rebellion against God, death is the punishment our sin deserves. But at the cross, something absolutely stunning happened. The sin was ours, but the death was his. The wages that sin paid were not paid to us who deserved them, but to him who did not deserve them. We have done the sinning, but Jesus did the dying. And that's why Peter says that the righteous died for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. We were guilty, we were the sinners, we deserved to suffer the penalty. But the innocent one suffered and died in our place. And the inescapable fact is that Jesus died as our divine substitute. Now I think today the substitution of Jesus for sinners is something that many, many people have great difficulty with, including many people in church. And that's strange because in other areas of life we admire it, don't we? Uh, As I was preparing this talk, I was reading about a young mother named Cheryl Anderson. Um, At the age of just 32, she was diagnosed with cancer. But she was two months pregnant at the time. And from the moment of her diagnosis, her one concern was for the unborn child that she was carrying. As the, the cancer moved through her body, she was in increasing agony but she refused any treatment that might be harmful for the baby. No chemo, no radiotherapy. The doctors wanted her to have it. She refused it. And so for seven months, she lived with crippling pain. And her one hope was that she might live long enough for the baby to be born safely. And so she refused all but the mildest of painkillers, because she knew that anything stronger would harm her unborn child. Well, as it turned out, her her baby daughter was delivered safely, but Cheryl Anderson died the very same day. And so to save her child, she put up with excruciating pain and literally gave up her life. She had substituted her life for her child. Now we all admire that, don't we? Of course we do. But how much more should our hearts overflow with love and with thankfulness when we realise that Jesus, God in human form, has made an even greater sacrifice for us as our substitute. One of the most compelling books, I think, about the Gospel is The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Some of you, I know, have read it. And in his book, John Stott describes a a painting of the crucifixion in a church in Italy. 
And uh, at first glance, the painting looks like countless other portraits of the same scene. But when you get a bit closer, you see behind Jesus on the cross, there is a sort of shadowy figure. It's a human figure, but you can't make it out quite. It's, It's indistinct. And the painter very brilliantly shows that the nail that pierces the hand of Jesus goes through the hand of Jesus into the hand of God. And the spear that pierces his side goes through Jesus into the chest of Almighty God. Now, I have no idea who that painter was. I'd like to know, but I have to tell you, he is absolutely right. The cross speaks to us of a God who so loved the world that he willingly substituted himself for sinners. That he took the place of the guilty to bear our judgment in his own innocent person. Now why does that matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters. This actually is the great Christian hope You see, this is what holds you and me steady when Satan brings his accusations against us. Because frequently, and it'll happen to most of us this weekend, Satan loves to whisper in your ear, well, you can't pray to God. You certainly won't be going to heaven. You're a miserable sinner. God isn't going to pay any attention to you. And when we hear that, The Christian replies, yes, but my hope does not lie in me not being a sinner. It lies in the substitution of the righteous for the unrighteous. And for that reason, I know that God is my Father and he always hears my prayers. Can I ask you, can you say that? Do you know in your heart that Christ died for your sins? Do you have that assurance holding you steady through all the storms of life? Perhaps you're thinking, well look, I understand what you're saying Simon, but can this really be my hope too? You know, there's so much in me that needs to change. Surely I've got to get my act together before God's ever going to accept me. And to that the Apostle Peter in verse 18 replies, Christ died once for all. Now that phrase, once for all, is actually just one word in the original. It's a rather difficult word to translate but it describes the absolute finality and sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross. It's saying that his sacrifice, his death, was perfect and a complete sacrifice for all my sins, past, present and future. I can't add to it in any way, And it can never be repeated. You see, that is what Jesus meant when he cried out on the cross, 
It is finished. And the point is, you see, that you and I can never clean ourselves up to make us acceptable to God. Don't even try. And we can't do anything to pacify God or to avert his righteous judgment from our lives. The only thing that we can do is come to him who died for sins once for all and ask him to do for us what he actually came into the world to do, to bring us to God. Why don't you do that this morning if you haven't already done it? Won't you put your hand, as it were, into the hand of Christ and let him bring you to God? You may have been a drifter spiritually. You may have been just plain defiant. Whether you are a sort of weathered, long-time Christian for whom it's all gone rather, rather dry, or whether you're just starting to think seriously about Christian things for the first time, I think Good Friday would be the perfect time, the ideal time, to ask Jesus to bring you to God. So why don't you start by praying this prayer with me? It's a very short, very simple prayer. I'll pray it one sentence at a time and leave a gap for you to respond silently in your heart if you wish to do so. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the distance I've put between us. Thank you for taking the punishment my sins deserve. Please bring me to God today. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, won't you please do a couple of things? Uh, Won't you, first of all, tell a friend in this building before you leave church this morning that you've done it, that you've asked Jesus to bring you to God? And then won't you come and get this booklet from me? It's called Becoming a Christian. It's one of the best short explanations on what it means to come to Christ. And uh, I'd be very delighted to give you a copy.